welcome to the podcast where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward and now your host adam posner Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, and Wagyu beef and entrepreneurship to help you harness your own inner tenacity to drive your career forward. Folks, I am thrilled to welcome my guest today, Patrick Montgomery, founder of the Kansas City Cattle Company, home of some of the best Wagyu products around, including their famous Wagyu hot dogs and brats. And I had the hot dogs this weekend. And they are absolutely incredible. But Patrick was telling me I got to try the brats, so we'll get to them uh, this weekend. So aside from producing great meat, he's a retired U.S. Army Ranger, a life experience that greatly influenced everything that he does. And I'm excited to unpack his career journey and share his story. Patrick, welcome to the show, my man. Thanks for having me on, Adam. I'm looking forward to it, man. Awesome. And I appreciate um, our, our little chat before. It was pretty funny. We'll save that for, for, for you and I. But uh, let's start. I want to bring everyone up to speed on, on your career and life story. Uh, but first and foremost, thank you so much for, for your service. Greatly um, appreciate it. R- real quick, any just, I don't want to get too political here, but, but high thoughts on what's happening in Afghanistan. You know, just top of mind, you know, it's, it's real time. We're recording this on the 16th of August. H- how do you feel having served our country? You know, so I spent all of my time overseas, Adam, in Afghanistan, and um, I'm pretty conflicted about it, man. I got a phone call from a local news agency last week to actually kind of pick my mind about what's going on and unpack some of that, and it's it's very convoluted. Um, you know, th- that was on Friday, which is when Kandahar fell, uh, which is where I spent a majority of my first deployment. Um, and, you know, I- I'm sad. I'm incredibly sad about this thing. You know, we just watched 20 years worth of work in that country go down the drain in 60 days. Like that. I mean, dude, blood and treasure that we invested in that country, all gone. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the, the part that I'm conflicted about is I don't know how we done, how we could have done better. You know, would it have taken another 20 years to actually have won the war? I always said that. occupation. You know, what was it, right? That's it, man. You know, I spent the first week I spent there, I was like, it's going to take a full generation of us being here to change the mindset of the of the people who live here. And the sad part that comes out of what we just did is we probably just created an entire new generation of Afghanistan nationals that absolutely despise America. And we're going to see terror. Yeah, we're going to see terrorist attacks come out of that in the next 20 years. and, And that part's really sad to me. Yeah, it's it's. The tough part for me on the news, too, was all the people desperate cramming into try to get their visas, try to get out, and you just feel their desperation. And yep. you feel for the, the women and children because we know how the Taliban you know, treats women. And that's, yeah. sc- and that's scary. We, we gave them hope. Yep. We gave them hope of a life, of their children, of their generation. We gave them something to hope for. And, that's, and, 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 it, and it's just sad, and we could only hope for the best. But, you know, unfortunately, that's uh, – so, so switching gears for a little bit, when, when did you first know? How old were you when, you when you first had that feeling inside saying, I am going to serve my country? Well, it was before this, but probably the catalyst where I committed to that decision was September 11, 2001. Um, I was in sixth grade. Uh, I remember the – I was in home ec class, you know, I'm freaking, what, 11 years old, and I'm looking over my teacher's shoulder, and she's just bawling, and um, I look past 
you know, her face into her computer and I see the plane hitting the first tower. And, you know, we were, we were sixth graders. So the, the school was kind of torn about what to tell us and everything else. And I remember the principal came on about 2 PM and kind of gave us the breakdown of like, here's what happened. Um, we're not going to say a whole lot about it because we're going to let your parents do that. And I just remember coming home and sitting down on the couch with my dad and him being like, this is your Pearl, this is your Pearl Harbor. And, uh, I remember, you know, feeling extremely conflicted because like you know all the wars in america's past have always been a, a enemy in uniform that's normally fought overseas and um you know we didn't have that this and i just funny. remember kind of committing that day that like if this war is still going on when i'm a fighting age like i'm i'm gonna go do my part and uh you know it's, it's kind of crazy now because i talked to i talked to veterans even some of our new hirees uh, they don't remember September 11th. They were, you know, they they were pre pre age of actually being able to keep brain capacity of that memory. So, um, you know, it's 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 kind of crazy that uh, how much that that day changed the rest of my life. So yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting you said you were 11 years old, and it kind of put things in perspective. And I immediately was doing the math in my head. I'm about 10 years older than you. I was my my second year in college, second senior year in college. And I don't want to go too down, far down that path, but it was, it was a very similar feeling, even though I was 10 years older than you, of this was on our soil. And I'm old mm-hmm. enough to remember the first bombing in the World Trade Center in 93, but that, it wasn't the same. I mean, not, not even close. That was, it, it, was, it was night and day, and it was a feeling of helplessness. I'm a native New Yorker, born and raised in Brooklyn. New York City is my home, and I was in Buffalo 500 miles away, helpless, and I had friends that graduated the year before that I knew were in finance, that were down in the FIDI, and... No, no idea. It was helpless, and that and that was a feeling. And you took action on it. And I applaud you for that. Um, so thank you. And another major turning point for you was the passing of your brother-in-law and fellow ranger, Jeremy Katzenberger, um, during your first deployment. Tell us, if you don't mind, sh- share with us how much that relationship meant to you, and 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 what did you learn from him that you vowed every single day to take action on? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that that relationship started about the same time as September 11th. Him and my sister, you know, there's a five year disparity there. So, you know, she was uh, I guess she would have been a freshman in college. I would have been a freshman in high school um, when they started dating. And uh, I didn't have any brothers growing up. Um, and him and I just kind of hit it off. We, you know, he, he was in ROTC at that point and he ended up kind of, I followed the same path he did because he dropped out of college and enlisted, um, and, and went to the 75th range regiment. And so, you know, he was kind of my role model. And at that point in my, my life, I still thought I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. Um, and there, there's a, a loving camaraderie like brothers between Navy SEALs and, and Rangers. So he kind of steered me cut, away from cut that. From the same cloth, right? It, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but we like to fight and give each other jabs. So, oh, yeah. um, you know, he, it's like Matt Yankees he, here in New York. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So he, he kind of steered me away from that, got me on board with uh, heading, heading to the 75th. Um, so I got a full ride to college to do that and uh, to become an officer. And, you know, I, I, I hated it. <laughs> I hated the officer corps. It just wasn't for me. Why? Um, I, um, it's just different, right? So your officers, uh, it's a lot more admin work. It's a lot more like... You know, it's even an officer in the 75th, absolutely they're out there on target with you when you're in that PL um, type leadership, but they're, they're back from the action. They're, they're, not, they're not leading from the front, um, and that's what I want to do. I want to so, be the number one guy in the so, door. So pause on that for a moment. So the difference is it's still a leadership position, but you're more in the back than in the front. Yeah, it, you know, they're commanding the whole battlefield versus right. I wanted to be the guy that was kicking indoors. Um, 
and you know, I, I knew college would always be there for me. Um, so I just kind of made the decision my sophomore year to, to drop out and enlist. And so, yeah, you know, I did about nine months of training, got to regiment in March of 2011. And I ripped out for Afghanistan a month later. Um, two months later, it was the day after we, we killed Osama bin Laden, which was an awesome day. So it was a pretty cool time to be in Afghanistan. There was a lot going on. Um, and, uh, Jeremy ended up getting killed June 14th, um, 2011. And yeah, man, that, that day definitely changed the rest of my life. So what do you, what did he leave you with? What was that? What was that? What was that? You have a tattooed on your heart. What is that? Um, so I got quite a few things. And I honestly, Adam, I think that's changed over the last 10 years. You know, we just passed the 10 year anniversary for it. Um, I don't know if I'll ever fully know like what, what came out of that. It, it's really tough to, you know, I wish I was enlightened enough to be like, here's, here's why this happened. But I just, you know, no matter what entity you believe in, that's, that's bigger than us. You know, um, there's so many things that did come out of that. I look back on that and if that day wouldn't have happened and I, I, you know, that was definitely the catalyst for a lot of things that happened in my life afterwards. Um, but if it wouldn't have happened, I probably wouldn't be sitting here with my wife and my three kids, you know, um, you know, so I, I, I never want to say it happened for a reason because that just sounds terrible. My, my wife and or my, my sister and, and her son are, are widowed and, and fatherless because of that. Um, so, you know, it almost sounds selfish to say there's good things that came out of that, but at the same time, you know, it's, all, it's almost silver linings. If you, if you want to look at it, you know, in, in that regards. And I, and I really do appreciate you sharing. So you, you've had a, an incredible life story and a journey. And one of the stops on the way was your journey to become a veterinarian or the, you know, the path towards that. Um, what what was it about? Did you have a, a passion for for animals and and wildlife? And I assume it led to where we are today, talking about you know Wagyu and and running a beef company. But where did that come from? Was there always kind of a childhood love of animals? Yeah. So um, kind of backing up a little bit, I took uh, I took a break from the special operations um, when my sister moved home. I decided I was going to get as close as possible um, to her, and you know I was kind of making some bad life choices at that point. I was heading down a dark path. And uh, so I, I needed to get away from that that kind of rock and roll lifestyle of a special operations guy um, for a little bit. So I went to Fort Riley, Kansas. Um, I did not like the military job I was doing there. Um, what were you, so what were you was, doing? Uh, you know, I, I was doing a whole lot. I was still in the infantry, but um, it's just a different, you know, I was, I was in the big army, right, versus coming from the special operations. And, right. um, you know, I set up a pre-ranger program yeah. out there for, for um, the brigade I was with. And I did some really cool things, and those guys were ripping out to Kuwait. So I was, you know, fortunate enough to kind of pass along my, my combat experience of like, hey, you know, here's some things to look out for if you guys do get in some action out there. And I was able to train those guys up before they headed out on deployment, which was, you know, always, always rewarding. Um, but I definitely didn't want to stay there. So, you know, I was kind of faced with, all right, well, I'm either getting back in the special operations and probably doing something even more dangerous than, um, the 75th or, you know, I'm getting out. And, um, so my wife at the time or girlfriend now wife was like, be careful with that one, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I might get myself in Words trouble. Matter. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, you know, she was like, well, you know, do you have any passions in the civilian world? And I'd never really thought about it. I thought I'd be a career. Your guy life in the has always been career military. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, 
I kind of started to explore it, and the biggest reason for that was if I failed the selection process for the deal I wanted, I had to spend another four years at Fort Riley. <laughs> so right, I was kind of like, what motivates us in life? When you actually yeah. really think about it and unpack it, it's a fear of what I don't want to do that motivates us to what we do want to do, right? That's it. <laughs> that's that's, it, that's crazy shit how things work in life. Yeah, yeah. I feel so you, I feel you on that. <laughs> that was like, all right, well, I'm getting out. We're we're gonna try the civilian thing, and so you know. I was fortunate enough to have a have a great leader in the unit I was with in Fort Riley there that let me shadow at a at a Army vet clinic on post there for the last six months, and I loved it, man. I, you know, is it the Army Veterinarian Corps has like a really cool job. They get to work on like the military horses and military dogs, dogs yeah. and they also you know just run a clinic for people in the military. So. Um, and then on top of that, like conservation departments and stuff like that, bring, bring animals in. So I got to work with like coyotes and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, so I, I love that. Uh, so I decided I was going to go back to school for animal science. Um, and I'm not from the ag community and that's a very ag centric major. And, um, so it's kind of like this eye-opening experience for me. Uh, one, because I hated school before, and now I'm a little older, a little wiser. I'm less distracted by beer and women <laughs> because right. I'm married at this point. And uh, so, you know, I, I actually had the opportunity to discover this about myself, that I love knowledge. I love reading. I love just learning about science and all this you other needed, stuff. You needed that mental shift, too. You needed that mental break from the military life and the military mindset to open you up to, I mean, because... If you think about it, just to pause for a second, I mean, you were kind of locked into that from the age of 11 on. Mm-hmm. And now, for the, it was the first time, we're going to call it while, almost 10, 10 plus years later, you had a moment to mentally breathe. And think about what, you, what else Patrick enjoys. Well, and kind of coming back to the 30,000 foot view on that, Adam, is like, man, why do people go to college right after high school? Like, especially men. We're not even fully mentally mature until 25. Like, oh, man. I, You're spending I'll, a lot of money to go to school. That's a podcast I could talk about my mentality in college. Seriously. So it's like, you know, I, I looked at, at that as a huge opportunity to go see the world and how the rest of the place, how the rest of this entire um, civilization lives. And I was like, man, we're so fortunate and blessed in this country to have the opportunities that we do. And so, um, you know, I went back to school. I was also doing a minor in entrepreneurship. And I was like, man, I love both of these things. And, you know, I was doing more research. I was shadowing at clinics and really talking to every veterinarian I could meet. And what I figured out is um, my passion lied with the large animal side, and there's just no money in it. Uh, so you're doing, you know, another roughly six years of school if you do an internship after your undergrad there. Um, and, lot. yeah, and, and you graduate a, making a, it, 50, 60,000. Right, it's a long journey. You're, you're out in the Midwest, you know, getting that full body glove up on into some bulls, right? You know, Which I love that part, yeah. but you just don't get paid <laughs> to do that, right? No, so. no. So, so I, I assume that's kind of like what was – where did it all start to click together? Animals, beef, wagyu, entrepreneurship. Like when did this all come together? Tell us it. Was it, was it. was it over a beer one night with your buddies? Was it over the course of time? This is the coolest part. I love to ask this question to, to real, true founders, especially in a tangible product space. What was that aha moment, Patrick? Yeah, so it was a culmination there in my last year of my undergrad. Um, I decided I wasn't going to be a veterinarian, but I had no idea what the F I was going to do with my life. So I went to a job interview here in Kansas City, and uh, it was for a security consulting position, very, very reputable co- or, uh, company here in Kansas City. Um, Great pay, great benefits, all that. And I remember at the end of the interview, I was like, you know, they asked me if I had any questions for them. And my question was, you know, what do you spend the majority of your day doing? You're a security consultant for a company in Kansas right. City. Like, what, what does do you, that even what mean? What are you protecting? 
exactly. Um, and their answer was, uh, convincing corporate were worth the money they pay us. And I was just like, holy shit, man, I can't do this. Yeah, <laughs> I just remember calling soul sucking, right? It was, man. I felt like I was selling out. I went from this job that I absolutely love, but it kind of, you know, it broken me down as a person. And now I'm like selling out for a paycheck. And I remember calling my wife on the way home and I was like, I can't do this. Like, I can't, I can't go to corporate America. I'm not, I'm not good out for this it life. Didn't, it didn't feel, it didn't feel it. No, Something man. was off, right? Some shit, was, it just wasn't sitting with you. Right. And you're, and so, I, could t- I could tell you're a gut feel kind of guy. Like it just wasn't here. I'm big on the feels, man. Definitely big on the feels. So I, it took me about a week, and I came to my wife, and I was like, I'm starting a company. And she's like, well, what kind of company? I was like, I don't know yet, but I'm going to start a company. And, uh, you know, I was, I was still in, still doing my undergrad, so I'm in classes every day. And I remember sitting in this lecture, and it was kind of like a, almost like ag theology, like basically going through all the crazy things that are happening in the ag community, you know, from methane gases and cows to um, people wanting to buy organic labels and all this other stuff. And this professor I'm listening to has been entrenched in ag since he was a kid is just like ripping on the consumer. Like these people are idiots. They don't know what they're talking about. And yet, and I was just like, man, there's this huge disconnect between agriculture and the end consumer. Like these people are raising our product. Like they're literally, we have 1% of the population that feeds the whole world. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of this incredible thing that, you know, there's just the end consumer has no idea what that means. And so I saw an opportunity there. Um, and you know, the, the Wagyu portion of it kind of came from, I had a buddy down in Austin, Texas, who was Ranger buddy. And he had gotten into Wagyu a few years before that, uh, doing his undergrad at, at U of T. And, uh, he was selling the restaurants down there and he was cleaning it up. And I was like, you yeah, know, I want to margin. Yeah. We'll get into that. Yeah. And so I want to do this in, um, in Kansas city. And so that was kind of the premise of Casey cattle company. So I filed the paperwork for the LLC and hit the ground running when I graduated. Such a cool feeling, right? When you follow that paperwork and you get that certificate, whether it be, you know, I remember I get mine over email. I'm like, oh, that was a little anticlimactic, right? Like, shit, all right, yep. now I got a company. Now, yep. now, all right, so, so now you got the papers, right? So, but <laughs> what was, like, what was the business plan here? Where, like, so, did, you, did you have an idea where to source from? What was going to be the branding, the differentiation? Man, I look back at the, like the original business plan I, I wrote, which is sometimes fun to do. You know, I, I, I typically look back at it like once a year just to see how far it would come. What could your business do with dozens of additional closed sales every single month? I'm Brian Cristiano, CEO of Bold Worldwide and creator of Deal Flow Accelerator, boot camp style training program for business owners, entrepreneurs, and sales leaders to help them close up to 30 to 120% more deals in just six weeks. If you want to learn more about this program or watch a webinar on how to implement this strategy yourself, visit bold.ceo slash pause. Let's grow. And it doesn't even resemble the company we run today. My, my original business model was selling a majority, about 50% to restaurants locally in Kansas City and then 50% to consumers via mail order and farmer's markets and all these other things. And uh, it just didn't work, man. I mean, we almost went bankrupt that first year and a half of sales and um, probably one of the biggest lessons I took from the military is being able to adapt under fire. And you know, th- that carries over entrepreneurship pretty well. Cause you're just always drinking from a fire hose and right, people are always shooting at you. It's a pivot. It's be able to, it's a quick, the quick, deci- the quick, let's pause on that for a second there. They teach you in the military that, that, that quick instinctual decision that's life and death yep. and translating that to business life and death. That's a huge, I mean, that's a huge competitive advantage. I talked to a lot of veteran, a lot of veteran entrepreneurs, and that is a very common success thread. 
Well, you probably heard this before, like best plan in the world, right? Goes out the door when that first round goes over your head. And that carries over to business very well in a metaphorical sense. So just give everyone a quick, um, and, and side note, if your pods go dead, don't worry about it. Just pull them off, we'll pause, and we'll, we'll record normally. It's fine. Um, give us a quick, for anybody who doesn't understand Wagyu beef, give everyone a quick overview, if you don't mind. Quick education. Yes. Yeah, so I'll start with the name. Wagyu beef means black cow in Japanese, um, or Japanese cow. Um, and the story behind it is really cool if you want to look into it, but I won't get into that because that's pretty Yeah, we'll long. look everyone up to that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, but basically what makes it special is there's two mutations within the genome, one of which allows for all that intramuscular fat, the marbling, the stuff you want to see in your steaks, and the second is the melting temperature of that fat is about 20 degrees lower than your, your regular traditional continental breeds of steaks. Um, so that's kind of where you get that umami, very buttery flavor um, within the beef. And it's not a fad. This isn't a mark. Well, let me ask you that, right? Like how much of it is marketing? Um, I'm trying to think of an, an analogy and it's Monday morning here, but you know, there's other food products out there that have kind of been hyped up because of marketing, but correct me if I'm wrong, Wagyu is a real deal from a quality and a rarity perspective. What are the, like, like talk to us, those key factors that really drive the high prices. So, um, Perhaps. you know, one, one trend line you see with beef right now is that, um, beef sales overall are going down. Um, but the sale of prime beef and good quality beef is skyrocketing, right? So that's kind of, mm -hmm. when I was starting the company, that was huge and, and something I really had to sell to the bank. And uh, nobody knew what the hell Wagyu beef was when I started. Uh, now everybody knows what it is. It's pretty rare to have somebody ask me what the heck Wagyu beef is. Um, at a minimum, they've heard of the name before. Um, so it, I, I definitely don't think it's a trend. And, and what we're seeing right now is it's starting to come into the commercial space. So these huge, you know, um, Commercial farms are starting to introduce those genetics into their beef because you know their beef sucks and they want some marbling with it. So, and where and where's your cattle? All local? Yeah, so we we have cattle. You look out this window. There's cattle out here on our on our property. We're on about 300 acres in in uh, west of Missouri here. Um, we also have enough. Yeah, hey, come I out need, anytime, I need, man. I need, a, I need a road trip, man. Yeah, it, this time kids. of year is love beautiful. It. Just don't come out in winter. It's really depressing out here. <laughs> um, but then we also have a ranch that we work with uh, south of Abilene, Kansas. Uh, so, it's uh, much bigger than ours. So, so I've, I have a good buddy, and he, he tells me one of, the, one of the key pieces is keeping the, the stress level down in the cattle, right? The, the cortisol levels. I always wonder, like, how does one create a low-stress environment for cattle with the, with the main objective to make their meat better? Yeah, so I right. You giving I them always, like massages? They go to the spa. Like, how do you, how do you keep a how do you keep a how do you I keep always, them chill? I always drop the ball on this. There's a there's a lady out there who's written a ton of books, and she's been huge influential influ, influential with the the ag community as a whole in this particular topic. Um, and her name will come to me as I'm talking about this here. But you know, her whole premise is, is kind of thinking like the animals do um, when when you're treating them and and moving them. And you know, like for for instance, all right, we had a bull break through um, our fence this morning, so he's okay. he's in there with a bunch of gals that he shouldn't be. So that's that's my project after this. But um, you know, well maybe that um, maybe that'll reduce his stress level. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> he he lives one hell of a life, man. Um, <laughs> but the big thing is not using you know not using hot shots and not being in a hurry when you're working right. the cattle. It's, it's kind of, they have a flight zone. So they're really easy to move. If you understand that flight zone and you stay calm, the animals stay calm. I mean, every once in a while you get animals that are just insane, just More like animals. people. And, and they never, they never turn out to be good beef. So. 
Interesting. So there's a stress control element to it too. So you're building up this business. What was that moment where you're like, you know what, we're, we're, we're on to something here. We're building things up here and uh, it's time to double down and continue to hire veterans and, and really build out the brand and make this thing, you know, really what it should be. Yeah. Um, so I was telling you, fall of 2018, we really diverged from that B2B business model and focused all our efforts on B2C. Um, and we struggled along there for about another year. We got some awesome publications, Forbes, Today Show, nice. Fox News, New York Times. Um, but there are all these like little sales bumps, and then they just fell right back off. Right, Nothing sustainable. Exactly. Yep. And uh, fast forward to August 1st, 2019, and we had an article in Food & Wine magazine about our hot dogs. Um, it went viral, very clickbait-esque title uh found a hot dog that tastes like steak is number one article on apple news yahoo I mean, MSN. that's that's, a, that's gonna get people's attention especially in august I yep mean, it should have came out a month or two earlier hit that memorial day oh but, man so we didn't even know the article was coming out and nice. we had we had 35 packages of hot dogs in stock when that article hit oh so my God. um and we allowed back orders at that point so we had 7500 orders roll in overnight um there's one and a half of us that worked here time to get to work um and it, that was it, man. I mean, it was like, we'll just figure this out. In the back of my mind, I'm like, death by growth is a very real thing. So oh. it's like, but you got to, you get, you just got to figure it out. And so that's what we did. Uh, it took us about two months to get all those orders out the door. Um, but we were just transparent with our customers and they were so appreciative of that. And they that's were happy cute. for us. We absolutely had assholes that, you know, wanted refunds. Totally get it. Um, and pause but, on that for a second. I'd rather pause on that because I was talking about that earlier today. It's a concept of managing expectations with your clients and your customers. Mm-hmm. And and that that's how you build a brand by being transparent with them. That's a huge that's a huge point for anyone listening here, especially if you're early growth and you want to avoid death by growth because it's possible. People think that you just exploded and all the money's coming in, but if you don't have the infrastructure set up, if you're, you're not prepared, some folks like Patrick and his team were able to handle it, recover it, and build, but other people not, and that's where they break, man. Good point. Yeah, well, and you, you you know, the the thing to remember is you're probably not going to make money on that deal. Like, we, we ended up losing money because it was so outside our business model shipping single packs of hot dogs across the United States, right? Um, so we ended up losing about two bucks per package on those 7,500. Um, but what you gain from that? Loyal customers? That's it. Repeat we gained, business. We, we gained about 15,000 15, new customers that came back and loved the product, and, and that was what gave us a sustainable business that, that, model. That's a, a un, an un, we'll call it for business, anyone out there, you have an MBA, right? Like the, the unintentional loss leader, right? The unplanned loss leader there that gets you in the door with customers. They taste the product. You lose a couple bucks or two on the sale, but the long-term ROI in that is going to be killer. Yeah. Well, and it's just so important. You know, we spend a ton of money taking care of folks, you know, whether it's damaged product in transit, which is not really our fault. And a lot of our competitors just say, you know, Mm -hmm. sorry, Um, but we we refund or we reship every one of those customers and it costs a ton of money. But we built we build brand loyalty and we just really try to take care of folks. It costs a ton of money and it kills our margin. But, you know, people are freaking loyal to, to our brand. And, and talk about, you know, you know, the big thing, vet owned, vet operated, and it's more than just a, a marketing ploy to get into people's hearts and minds, but it's real. And it's your, I assume, your way of, of giving back as well. Um, talk to us a little bit about that process, how you, how you vet the vets, right? Because, you know, there's, there's... I like that. Yeah. I might have to take that one, Adam. I mean, listen, if I get more hot dogs, man, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, no, that, that's huge, right? Because uh, there's... There's a lot of issues going on in the veteran community. Um, so 
it's important to me to kind of set the example of like, hey, you're not a broken piece of shit individual. When you get out of the military, you still have a lot to offer this country. Um, Incredible skills. So, so that's that's been that's been a challenge right because i do podcasts like this and then we have a veteran reach out and if they're looking for an employment um and they come in here for an interview it's like oh i'm a veteran i automatically get this job right it's like nah man like if you're not prepared to work just like you did in the military like there's the door buddy like but if you're yeah it's not a handout man this is a company but if if you're if you're willing to to kind of commit to this this philosophy of building this company um whether you want to be uh, building a career with it with Casey Cattle Company, or this is just kind of a stepping stone to a longer career, man. I'm gonna bend over freaking backwards to to help you succeed in those goals. So, um, definitely the part I love most about what we do. That's that's interesting. And how many how many vets do you employ right now? Um, so we're up to eight. Awesome, I love it. That's tremendous. So let's fast forward. Company's growing, uh, and then freaking COVID comes. COVID hits. We heard about the shutdowns in. Um, in the in the food production industry how did how did COVID affect your production and business last year was a wild west man so we were we were three employees when COVID hit and uh we were just coming out of the hot dog deal um and we had this marketing plan of like here's how we're gonna have sustainable growth for 2020 um and then we just got our socks knocked off the whole year man because people couldn't find protein on their shelves so um it was it was nuts that I think that kicked off like the first week of March that you know the East Coast West mm-hmm. Coast started shutting down, and uh, you know we we called them apocalypse orders because that's those are huge selling states for us, and uh, we were seeing these orders of like fifty pounds of ground beef and roast and People all this other stuff, up. stocking up, man, and so into the world, we were sold Get out for about four paper. months do of last not, year. Do not miss getting toilet paper. Yeah, don't forget Wagyu beef and toilet paper. Apparently, that's what I people could, need I could, last I year. I actually live on that. Yep, yep. You're going to need both. So, um, But it was wild because you talked about like the food processors shutting down. That, that was a huge issue for us because you know we, we work with the medium to smaller size processors, and when all the big dogs shut down, it just placed an incredible load on these, these smaller processors. So, And I assume prices went up too because it's a money yeah. game, right? Who's, who's going to get the time on the plant? That was fun for me to see a little bit, man. To see yeah. like this this crappy ground beef at the grocery store going for the same price as our wagyu ground beef. It was it was kind of cool. So that, that was cool. But you but yeah. you made it through. What was uh what was a big aha moment from a business perspective during the pandemic? Or shit, um, I should say I should say what was like you know what was what was maybe we call we talked about silver linings before. Right? We talked about the pandemic. Was there something in your in your in your business process, the marketing, the production that you said, hey, this is actually working out better, and we could adopt it as we come out of the pandemic. Uh-huh. Um, that's that's a really good question. Processing is definitely a constant hang up for us um, because there's not a ton of processors out there, and there's a huge need for them. But nobody wants to get into the business, um, so it's something kind of in the back of my mind that we're we're eventually going to have to own this this part of the of the. Um, so the future plan is opening up opening up a processing plant. I don't want to, but I think it's we're going to have to. It's not a good business. It's it just. Not it's tough, man. It's heavy regulated. It's I heavy regulated. There's there's OSHA a ton of risk. Yeah, and the food USDA, and drug man. Yeah, you have ag. You have. I, I could almost imagine. I'm not in this business, and I could even start to wrap my head around the amount of hands that are involved here. Well, you don't want any hands involved in food processing. No, anyway, no, no non-gloved no. hands in food no. processing. That's you where you go. There's from. some heavy freaking machinery there too, right? Definitely. So, um, it, you know, we switched to a bigger processor and we, we thought we were good for the rest of the year. And then they had an electrical fire 
you know, two months before our busiest, busiest months of the year. Um, so it was a pretty stressful year, but we, we took a lot out of it. We grew 150%. We, we gained more awesome. customers. They're loyal to us. Um, and that, that kind of led to this year, which has been probably worse for us than, than COVID. So, How so? Um, inflation is just, we're taking it on the chin, man. Every single one of our vendors has done a price increase this year. That's after growing 150% last year. So here I am approaching them for price decreases. Um, and it was like every one of them raised prices this year. So it's, it's been tough. Um, and I, also on top of that, you know, demand kind of fell off when the, when the world opened back up mm-hmm. and you know, now things are picking back up and you know, it's, it's just weird. Yeah, but the fu- the future is bright there, and and where do you see the company going in the next ten years? Um, we got a lot to look forward to, man. Uh, we're working on building a new facility down closer to the city. Um, running operations in the in BFE uh, Missouri is pretty tough, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. Um, and you know, kind of the part I look forward to the most is being able to bring on some more veterans and do a little more philanthropic work as we grow here, it. and you know, kind of have a more sustainable business model. So. That's awesome. Let's uh, let's dig back into you a little bit. In a uh, bizjournals.com article, you said, quote, if you try to be somebody that you're not, people can normally see right through, especially when you're trying to sell something. So I figured out that is the best sales technique I could have is to just be myself. What was what was that learning curve for you there when, when becoming more comfortable being yourself versus what you thought you should be as a I mean, listen, you're the you're the you're the founder, you're the figurehead of the company. That'd be yeah. a journey, man. Definitely. Um, kind of talking back like to when anybody starts a company, um, at least for myself, I'll speak to my experience. Like, dude, I read so many books and listened to so many podcasts. I like still have a hard time with podcasts, which I probably shouldn't say on your podcast, but I like, there's a podcast. It's not a podcast. Man. Th- okay. That's, <laughs> that's true. I enunciate a little better there. Um, but, but you know, I read so much and listened to so much about business. And, you know, through that, you kind of learn all these different little tidbits from successful people. Um, and I tried all of them, right? I, I was like, well, it works for me. And so much of it just didn't come natural to me. Like, I look uncomfortable when I dress up, right? Like, you can tell that I'm an uncomfortable person when I have a tie on. I, I'm, I'm right? man. I hate wearing ties. Probably my exactly. least in the world, man. I'm, I'm, a t- I'm a t-shirt, baseball cap kind of guy. That's it. So it was like, you know, I, I went through this kind of learning curve of like trying all these different things that really aren't me. Um, and people saw right through that. And so it kind of took me probably a full two years of being in business there before I figured out and really got to know myself as a business owner of like, here's what works. Um, here's and, and with leadership on my employees and all these other things, too, like there's so many operational processes and stuff like that, that, that work for other businesses. But you got to figure out what works for you. And I'm not People kind of take that the wrong way sometimes when I say that, that they shouldn't experiment. You should absolutely experiment, but don't be heartbroken when you figure out what work for Steve Jobs doesn't work for you. Yeah, that's a bad example. I mean, did you feel it was like information overload? I find that a lot of times, and I do not read business books. I listen to occasional podcasts, but I have my business influencers. Did you feel it was too much information? Was it inf- like information overload, Patrick? I did, man. And I did a deal last year and I'm not really sure why I thought this was a good idea, but I was going to do a book a year or book a week for the entirety of 2020. And I did it. Um, but probably about 80% of those were business books. And by the end of the year, I'd taken a ton away from it and I'd learned, I learned a tremendous amount, but what I took away from it was like, man, there's so many different trains of thoughts out there and not, there's not one way to skin a cat, man. And Mm -hmm. it's going to be the same way in your business is just, it, it, 
what works for one person doesn't necessarily work for you. But what I did, what I did learn and what kind of my philosophy is when, when I'm listening or learning Adam is I always try to take one thing away from everything I read or listen to. And, and what would you want the one thing for anyone listening to this podcast to take away? Um, I'm going to go with two and you can yeah, take one. It, so my, my first one is uh, that we need more entrepreneurs out there. So if you're listening to this and you have some, some really great idea is that it's, it's never going to be perfect when you launch. So just take that first step and, and go ahead and embrace the fact that you're going to be in the suck for those first three years. And it's a ton of fun, so you should do it. <laughs> um, and then the second would be whatever amount of capital you think you're going to need for your startup. Go ahead and double that because that's probably a lot closer to what you'll actually need for those first three years. Good pieces there. So who, who, are, who are a couple of those key, uh, those key influencers from that, from your, from your, <laughs> your binge that really resonated with you? Drop a couple names. Who sits well with you? Yeah. The, who, who do you feel? Uh, who do you feel? John Lee Dumas was a huge one when I was first starting up there. Yeah. So I listened, I listened to a ton of his podcasts and that was probably, I didn't take a ton like as far as business practices away from that. But what I, what I did learn was like, man, these successful business owners aren't like smarter than me. They're not more intellectually sound than I am. They just put their pants on one leg at a time, just like I do. Exactly. Um, And then, you know, probably I, one of my favorite books was Snowball by Warren Buffett um, when I was first starting there. He's a good uh, dude to take advice from. <laughs> he's definitely a good dude to take advice from, but his, his life story is incredibly interesting. And there's a couple books Snowball. like that uh, that I just like a profound impact on. Like, man, this guy's like pretty relatable and similar uh, philosophy to me. So, yeah, that's a good one, man. Um, let's bring it let's bring it home here. Uh, well, actually, no, let's backtrack for a minute. Let's let's drop a little piece of. Uh, Wagyu knowledge here. What's your favorite Wagyu recipe? Favorite your favorite method of consumption? Yeah, um, definitely. Oh man! So this just recently changed for me. I used to be a big proponent of the hanger steak, and it's actually funny, Ooh, right? I like hanger steak, man. D- dude, they're so good, and they're do, underrated. Do, how do you do? You just do like a little olive oil, salt, pepper, or do you freaking marinate it? Because you I don't want to really call it. What do you marinate? Like old school, like barbecue sauce kind of thing, or red wine, red red wine, garlic, and a little bit of soy sauce. And, but doesn't the red does the red wine tenderize it even more and break down the fat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like with the garlic and soy sauce. All right. Yeah. My buddy Gary, if you're listening here, Gary, I'm talking to you. I never even mentioned you, Gary. Gary's my my meat master friend over here. Gary, I want you to play this one back. We're going to talk about this. Wagyu, red wine, garlic, soy sauce. Gary Mariosh, the shout outs to you. Um, and then the, but it's recently changed. I'm a big big fan of the Bavette steak, man. We just started cutting them, um, kind of gaining in popularity. Um, it comes from the sirloin. Um, it's kind of what I like to compare it to is it's like a hybrid of a flank steak and a skirt steak combined. I mean, that sounds perfect. Mm-hmm. You guys That's sell those? Delicious. Yeah, man. Right, yeah, I'm we gonna, do. I'm going to get on the order form after that. So let's bring it home here, man. You know, we talked about some, some what you took away from relationships, time in your life, time in the military, time as a vet, uh, vet veteran, training to be uh, a vet. All those pieces too, but what is what is the single greatest piece of advice, Patrick, you've ever received that you take action on every single day? Um, so you're gonna have to give me a minute because this won't make sense when I first tell you. But the night Jeremy got killed, um, I have a squad leader. Um, you know, he, he brought me down to his room. We were we were just kind of hanging out in his place, and um, you know, I just remember being like, "How could this happen? Like, he's the best of us. Like, you know, literally." 
the epitome of what you'd imagine for an army ranger. Um, and you know, he's like, look, man, I've been doing this a lot longer than you have. And, uh, I've seen guys get shot in the foot and die. And I've seen guys get shot in the head and live. And, uh, when it's your time, it's your time. And, uh, that, that had a profound impact on everything I've done since then, because, uh, it just really helps you keep in mind the fact that like y your time on this earth is borrowed and you got, you got no chance, of a change in when, when that clock's done ticking. Um, so you, you gotta live your life like that. If you're miserable mm -hmm. do, doing what you're doing, then you're doing something wrong. That's big, man. And that, and that comes as deep as it gets. And that's yep. it with you. So you look back, you look back on your life, right? You look back on, you were telling us a little bit before you're alluding to those dark times when you were not your best self, Patrick, mm -hmm. you look back to those dark times when your brother-in-law passed, you look back to those dark times when you were probably in some pretty fucking dark places overseas mm -hmm. and you didn't know if you're going to make it out or not. And you had to pull yourself up and harness that inner tenacity to save your life, to drive your life, to pull your life forward. And on the flip side of that, Patrick, right now you're sitting here, you got the ranch behind you. You're building an incredible business. You're giving back to veterans, father, husband, Patrick Montgomery. What is your compass? What is your North star in life? Um, it's living for those guys that can't, uh, cause Jeremy wasn't the only one, right? We had a pretty shitty year, um, in Afghanistan. Uh, we lost another five guys after that. Um, and those guys, they can't, they can't do what I'm doing. Right. Um, and, I always tell veterans, right, especially the ones that are really having a hard time dealing with that survivor's guilt and those things that, that you take away from those events, is uh, you got to have the right perspective about it. You can't look back and just mourn, mourn their death. You have to live your life um, for the fact that they can't. Because um, if you don't, you're doing them a disservice. So that, that, that's been my North Star. Um, and, you know, I, my <laughs> full credit goes to my wife for, for keeping me on that path because I definitely still have my dark days. Everybody does. Thanks for sharing, man. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your sharing your journey and the learnings and just following a dream, man, and doing it and taking control of your life and just being a shining example out there for all the veterans out there that are that are struggling, that are going through it. Um, I want everyone to check out Kansas City Cattle Company, KCC Cattle Company, all one word together. Patrick, where else can folks find you? Where can they connect with you? Where can they learn more? Yeah, man. Uh, you can always follow us on social at KC Cattle Company um, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And then, you know, if you ever have any questions, especially any veterans or anybody out there trying to start a business, feel free to email me at uh, contact us at KC Cattle Company. I check that. This has been awesome, man. Um, I, lo I look forward to staying connected, man. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon jam-packed with more incredible humans thank you for listening subscribing and sharing to join the conversation search the podcast on linkedin and to catch up on past episodes and more info please visit www.thepausecast.com